0: Well, we are glad you're, you're jumping back into the book of Acts with us. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're in the book of Acts. We've been in for a while now. And uh, I want to start off this morning with a little levity, with a little fun. Um, there, there's a, a meme going around that you may have seen this before, uh, but it seems very relevant uh, in the world we're living in right now. If you see this picture up here on the screen, this is a uh, very popular picture. Um, and just take a moment and look at it. Take note of what you notice. I mean, what sticks out to you? What what, what might stick out to you first? First, it might be there's a dog drinking coffee. Uh, That's different. (laughs) Uh, With a room on fire. But instead of freaking out as he rightly should, he just sits there and says, this is fine, right? (laughs) It's kind of halfway between a, a shrug and just a complete denial of reality. Right, and if you're honest, some of you may have come to church, if, if you're watching this at all, um, with a bit of skepticism that the church itself and others like it are the dog, right? And that even in the midst of historic events such as worldwide virus that has, that has taken over, they might be asking, what hope are you going to give us? What shred of dignity will you have left if you go around saying this is fine? Maybe you're like me and you hear people and pastors saying things like, do not fear, God's in control. And those feel like Christian versions of, this is fine. The church and anyone who embraces this type of false hope has either checked out from reality or maybe they're selling something. And I saw this just the other day. There was a tweet from a seminary professor who was quarantined for three months in 2013. And after chemo temporarily annihilated my immune system he says one thing I found is not really helpful to hear everything's just gonna be okay it's not helpful to hear everything's just gonna be okay when you're in the midst of that pain well let me promise you you will hear none of that today (laughs) we will not be painting any smiley faces over what's happened and just say everything's fine and said today, let me welcome you to plant Corinth and not superficial hope, but grounded hope in discouraging times. And we're going to be looking at the book of Acts chapter 18, 1 through 17. Uh, I asked Shirley to pre-record a video to send me and I forgot to upload it <laughs> so we could all have it on here. So next week, Shirley's going to read uh, the scripture to us. But today we have Malcolm reading to us here. Uh, Acts 18 verses 1 through 17. So please stand uh, as we read.
1: God's word. All right, Acts eighteen, verses one to seventeen. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claud- because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I, w- I would have reason to accept your complaint, but since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galio paid no attention to any of this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: You may be seated if you weren't already seated. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that this is the word of the Lord, and we do say thanks be to God for it. Uh, Lord, it's times when we we feel helpless that we realize how much we are dependent upon you. And so, Lord, in this helpless state, Lord, may we depend upon you and on your word and hear from you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, as Paul is going on his second missionary journey, um, he just left Athens, if you remember from last week. Um, he, he left the cultural capital of the world with these elite thinkers, uh, men and women who, who came up with some brilliant ways to think about life. Uh, and, and just these brilliant people, and they had, they had they had Paul had a few conversions there. We, we read about that. But for the most part, Paul got mocked and and really laughed out of Athens. He he gets kind of kicked out of Athens, and he doesn't take a break. I mean, he goes alone from Athens, from this big showdown with all these elite thinkers, and walks right into Corinth. Now, anyone here have a fear of just walking into a random building that you don't know, of seeing people you don't know? Yeah, we've got a couple in our house here. Now, just imagine you're you're Paul. You're, You're on a roundabout, walking over to Corinth and just walk into this giant city where you have nowhere to sleep. You're not sure where the food's gonna come from, but he just goes and there, there's no breather for him. I mean, and you've gotta imagine on this journey while he's walking to Corinth, he's just replaying how that whole conversation went down in Athens, right? He's just, he's replaying, you are know, like, man, where did I mess up? I had that, such a good line with them. <laughs> This unknown God I proclaimed to you, like that should have done it, you know. And so, he's probably wondering and lamenting on that. But he goes to Corinth, and grounded hope comes in first from people. And so, we our grounded hope is going to come from people, from promises, and from a person. And so, the first grounded hope first comes from people. In verse 2, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who recently comes from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so he walks into, into Corinth, this, this massive city, right? And in Paul's day at Corinth, um, not Athens, Corinth was the capital of Achaia. And so it was huge, right? And, and the first thing that we notice about Corinth is it has this reputation for what? For being sexually immoral, if you've read anything about this. And this wasn't just known by Christians. This was known by the whole Macedonian world. Like, they they all heard that about Corinth. They were like, yeah, we're bad, but like, Corinth does does some messed up stuff. (laughs) We're just not as bad as them. And so Corinth is like Vegas meets L.A. meets Miami uh, meets your internet browser, right? Like, (laughs) the, the people of Corinth worshipped Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And so under the guise of religion, they engaged in, in unrestrained immorality. I mean, they had a, they had a thousand female slaves that, that would serve in Aphrodite's temple by day and be prostitutes by night. A thousand. I mean, it was so bad that, that they came up with a word to describe what this is like. It was to Corinthianize. And so when someone comes up with a word, like, like, oh, you pulled a Malcolm. Like, we know what that means. Because <laughs> that's just Malcolm. <laughs> but like, when someone says, oh, you're Corinthianized, like, <laughs> that's bad. Like, you're known for that. You're known for something terrible right here. And so they were known by this. And Paul walks into the city just disheartened. Just like he walked into Athens and he was provoked by all the idols. He is provoked and he's disheartened by the overt sin that's happening there. And, and it's just seen as normal. Instantly, he meets these two people, though, Priscilla and Aquila, and who just happen to have the same talent as Paul uh, of tent making. Uh, And and we're now being introduced to one of Paul's hidden talents, that he's a tent maker. Uh, That's how he supports himself. He makes tents out of leather. Um, Now, not only are they tent makers, though, they are also believers, which is kind of a more um, wild thing to find someone in this giant city who's a tent maker and a believer uh, right away. But they strike up a friendship and they tell Paul, you know what? You know the place to stay? You can sleep with us. I mean, how many of y'all would do that? How many of y'all have that open room for, the, for the, <laughs> this stranger just to come in to sleep at your house? You know, they come in and he said, come in, sleep here. Don't touch my Netflix. Don't touch the thermostat, but you can stay here. <laughs> but Paul ends up living with this group, with this couple, for a year and a half. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a gift for some of you guys to just open up your home, to, to take in this, this random person, just to practice sacrificial hospitality. Mm-hmm. This isn't, hey, we're you know, we hear you're doing good things, we wish you well. Thoughts and prayers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thoughts and prayers, amen. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what about actually meeting needs?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Like, <laughs> real hope is grounded in something. What about sacrificing yourself to help someone? That's grounded hope. That other stuff feels fake and feels empty sometimes. But God gives Paul a place to stay. He gives him a place to work. He gives him people. He gives him community. And it comes from an unlikely place. Because the only reason that Priscilla and Aquila are actually in Corinth is because the racist emperor Claudius puts out an edict that says, I don't want any more Jewish people in my city. Let's clean up this riffraff. And he kicks all the Jewish people out of Rome. And so Priscilla and Aquila, who have a very successful tent-making business in Rome, now bring it to Athens. They they, they bring their franchise to Athens, and they franchise it later in Ephesus. They they are good at what they do. But think about what had to happen just to house Paul, just to give him a place to stay, to give him a shred of hope. All these strings had to be pulled from behind the scenes. Another pastor said it this way, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them—that <laughs> God is doing ten thousand things in your life at all the times—and you may be aware of just three of them. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay.
0: Come on, God! <laughs> God sends full community for Paul to back Paul, and not just Priscilla and Aquila. In verse uh, five, Silas and Timothy—sorry, Timothy—join back up with him. And elsewhere, we hear that they also bring a tithe and an offering from the Philippian church. And so real help is on the way. It's tangible. Hope that's tangible. But it doesn't come without community. Mm. And this passage hits the absolute necessity of community. I need you. You need me. In this era of social distancing, this is hard. Like, when our very essence, when our very presence is a threat to each other, I mean, how do we still practice grounded community? Yep. How does that happen?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, there's this popular picture that's going around um, of, of this, these matches that, that says, you know if you stay close to people, the matches are just going to keep burning one another. Uh, there's another picture right here that, 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 that uh, characterizes what we want to teach, right? That if just one person separates from, from the pack, we stop the spread of the virus. Like, how powerful is that? That social distancing would stop it. It's a powerful image, and I, I really want us to embrace this as a church, But while we're practicing this, social distancing, what if the fire burning each match was actually hope? Hmm. How does that change the image? I mean, some of you guys lit up when we were on the Zoom call. I mean, it's because you're wired for community. Even you introverts are still wired creating the image of God for community. You, meet people, Paul, we need people to work with, we need people to break bread with, we need people to do life with. So grounded hope comes from real people. Social distance, yes, but never isolate. It will kill your hope. Okay. Because hope comes from community and from people, but hope also comes from legit promises. As I say legit promises, <laughs> Because I think sometimes we feel like everyone's just making promises in general that we know they can't keep. Like, when this whole thing began, it was like, all right, let's just take a break for two weeks. We'll, we'll reassess. All right, no, you know what? Let's just, let's do it in four weeks. You know what? Let's not even worry about a timetable. <laughs> let's, let's, let's not worry about this. The virus isn't is the only time we've seen this, though. People make empty promises. I mean, you can think of people saying things like, Just believe. Just, just have a positive attitude and everything will work out. Now, well, A positive attitude doesn't actually help those kids who were dependent upon three meals a day from school and now they're just living on one meal. Yeah. Yep. A positive attitude of just, just stay calm and carry on doesn't do the trick. Mm-hmm. This is fine. It is absolutely, positively not fine. Like, this isn't the way things should be. Yep. We should shed tears. Yeah. But that's why I say real hope comes from legit promises. Hmm. Not these fake promises, but actually not, not overlooking the obstacles, but in the face of the obstacles. Awesome. And so in verse 5, more Jews oppose Paul, and this opposition is about to get real. right? It's so intense. Look at Paul's anger flare up in verse 6. In verse 6, it says, When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. And from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. (laughs) I mean, Paul says, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. fend for yourselves. And so you wonder, is something going on with Paul? This is the same man who in Romans says, Out of love for the Jews, like if it means their salvation... I would be willing to to cut off myself from the promises of God. That's how much he loves the Jews. But now he says, I'm done with you? And I think something is going on with Paul. Because in 1 Corinthians 2-3, we get a hint of what's happening behind the scenes there. In 1 Corinthians 2-3, it says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul is in weakness and in fear and mm-hmm. in a much trembling. And he wasn't even being stoned. Mm-hmm. He wasn't beaten or imprisoned as we've seen. That's not what discourages him or causes him to fear. It was the words. It's the rejection from Athens and now for some of the Jews that are right here. And yet God is still blessing his ministry in the spite of this. He's adding more people to this new church, Mosaic Corinth. Because mm-hmm. in verse 7, we meet a guy named Titus Justus, who, who lives next door to the synagogue, right? Great place for the church, for the house next to the, to the synagogue. He's right there. But Paul goes and converts this guy, and they start this new church plant in his home, right next to the synagogue. That's brave, Paul. <laughs> uh, that's a little brave. That, that, that might be asking for a fight there. There you go. Let's <laughs> start the church right next door to your synagogue. And then to make it worse, the leader of the synagogue, the guy named Crispus, in verse eight, he believes in his whole family, just goes right next door to worship. <laughs> they all go next door for this new church plan, And yet Paul is still in weakness and in fear. It still, it, it doesn't phase him, he's still discouraged. And so something is going on in the spirit. And I don't know if that's ever been you before. You don't know why you're discouraged, but you just are. You start wondering like, why am I so down? You can't place your finger on it, but something's going on. Well, you're not alone, and God sees this, and he comes to Paul in verses nine and 10. Verses nine and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do, do not be silent. I mean, look at this. He gives him three commands right there. Just You can just leave that up there. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. I mean, now we see what's going on in Paul's heart. It, it, it's fear. Fear can be this debilitating thing. I've known people who, who felt like they couldn't even get out of their own household because of fear. Like, it can distort reality. It can make you do stupid things. Have y'all seen this video, um, I saw it on Twitter, where this guy was pulling up to a drive through and the woman was selling him coffee. She placed the coffee on his on, on the the platform where you then serve the person in the drive-through. Just set it there. And the guy is spraying the coffee with with his dis, um, sanitizer all around, and he's twirling it. And the people behind him are like, "Come on!" he's cussing back at them. You're right, like, he's, just, he's just taking all the time in the world. It's awkward, the, the person's filming it, from, the cashier's filming it from inside like, this guy's crazy. And then finally, he takes the coffee, he then lifts off the lid, because this is so disgusting, because someone else might have touched it, he then throws it into their into their shop. I mean, it's just a jerk move, right? <laughs> he's just living in fear. But what's our message? Just don't fear? Mm in one sense we're wrong? Because there's a lot to fear. There are harsh realities in this world. And I think many of us hear the message when pastors or church leaders just say, it's gonna be okay, everything will be fine. That it feels fake, like fake promises. But look at how God grounds his promises in verse 10. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for many in the city who are my people. And it's powerful. God's. I think sometimes I, I think there's this magical verse in the Bible, maybe you've heard of this, that God will never give you more than you can handle. That's trash, everyone. Just everyone say that's trash at home. One, two, three, that's, that's trash. trash. Great. <laughs> We're all on the same page. That's not scripture. God gives us more than we can handle all the time. True. But if I'm honest, I feel like God's saying something similar to that to Paul. He says, and no one's going to attack you or harm you. And so then we might go, well, is that a verse about me too? That nothing will ever attack or harm me? Now, we know there's promises that God gives for all people, and he also gives to some people in certain circumstances and certain situations. Because if we thought that verse was applying to everyone, then what do we make of Christian martyrs, including Paul? But there is a promise here that is for all people that we can all cling to, that is all throughout scripture. Do not fear, for I am with you. And this is the root of the hope, right? This is the root of the hope. Do not fear, for I am with you. I mean, we fear we're in this alone. That God has taken his hands off the rudder of the ship and said, do what you want. Like, we we fear that. We fear that he's left us to defend for ourselves. And so the presence of the Lord is the promise he gives us. It's the surety, it's the security that we can cling to. I mean, how does your faith not die out during this time? <laughs> I mean, how does your faith not die out? There are so many things coming at you to rock your faith, to destabilize it. And we have to hold on to the truth and just to the promise, the truth that I am with you. I mean, let's look at a couple of verses here. Knox, we pull up Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 21. I'm going to run through a couple of verses here just to see that this is something that's painted all throughout Scripture. Deuteronomy 21 says, When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, who brought you up of the land of Egypt, is with you. Hmm. Verse, Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Isaiah 43.5 says, Do not fear or fear not, for I am with you. Let's look at Jeremiah 42, 11. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. First Chronicles 22, 1. Then David said, here shall be the house of the Lord of God and here the altar of the burnt... That's not what I wanted to say. (laughs) I was reading off our screen. Okay, from a different passage now. (laughs) Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? And then let's end with Psalm 23. (laughs) Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, God is with us. Right now, just as much as he was four weeks ago, his promises are not little cat posters that say, just believe, right? They are rooted in reality. They're rooted in real life. He he said, do not fear, speak up, don't be silent because I am with you and no one will attack you. Mm. He's giving them promises to make sure of those promises, like grounds those promises in real things. Now, what happens though, right after he says, you will not be attacked. Well, Paul gets attacked. And so you might be doubting the promises of God. <laughs> Paul gets attacked right away. and You might be wondering, okay, it's hard to believe in you now, Lord. And this is probably true for a lot of us right now. We start wondering, Lord, where are you? But look at the promise. He says, no one will attack you to harm you. Mm. And guess what? Nothing happens to Paul. And in fact, he doesn't even have to speak for himself. He doesn't even get to defend himself before the tribunal. Right before he's given to his defense, the Roman council says, no. I don't want anything to do with this. God makes it so that all he has to do is sit and watch God work. (laughs) Come on. Come on. The pro-council says, this is an intramural debate. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And in that one act of saying, I don't want to have anything to do with this, he makes a precedent for all of Rome that legitimizes Christianity. Just in this one little act here. I mean, look at God showing off. He's not the author of sin, but in his sovereignty, he can repurpose sin for his good. And so he takes the Edict of Claudius to get rid of all the riffraff to bring people as a community for Paul. He uses the leader of the synagogue to be the first person that Paul baptizes in Corinth. He takes the Jews who are trying to persecute Paul to be an occasion to make Christianity legal throughout the Roman Empire. It's not just in spite of, but through the persecution that God's keeping his promises. And so he is using the devil's arrows against him. Right? I mean, how do we know he's going to keep his promise for us, though? And then that's where a lot of this boils down to, is I can trust God and his word here, but how do I know it's actually applicable to me? Well, because the last point here is that because he gave us a person, and his name is Jesus,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Christianity has never grown or flourished because of a great rock star leader leading the cause, or was not ever grown through well-systematized outreach plans? It caught fire amidst persecution because Christianity is the most upside-down religion in the world. It stands out because its founder, Jesus Christ, who, who is God of the universe, like who could have called legions of angels down to defend himself, he washes his disciples' feet. Like, like th- this Jesus who had eternity past, had the presence of God always with him, who truly felt the presence of God as he was the God, who had no fear because God the Father was always with him, he was rejected. That you might be accepted. How can I be sure that the promise was given that I, that, that I haven't messed it up? That, you know, that maybe there's some stipulations and conditions that I, that I made it void? god is with me but is he with me when i sin is he with me when when i'm really really bad well, that's exactly why he came right in this passage like the synagogue leader who took took over from Crispus, a guy named Sosthenes brings paul before the judgment seat it talks about before the judgment seat to be weighed and to, to be counted and something odd and crazy happens instead of the trial being about paul it's completely thrown out And Sosthenes, the man who brought the charges, gets judged himself by the crowd. (laughs) I mean, it's a total reversal. It's a total reversal. You say, who could have predicted this? It's a picture, I think, of what the devil does in bringing charges against us at the eternal trial before the mighty judgment seat. And God says, no devil. The same charges that you will lob against my people, I will use to slit your throat. Literally every time. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the sinners of whom I came to save. Come on. Do they have sin? Well, that's exactly who my, my son came to save, was sinners. Great. They are paid for. You can't lob any charge against them. And so then Jesus goes and experiences a time without God. He gets cut off so that you have access to God. Mm-hmm. Jesus felt the wrath, the forsaking, so that we don't have to experience it. Jesus experienced God's absence so we could experience his presence. Thank you, Lord. Jesus went before the judgment seat. The judge placed himself on the trial and found himself guilty. Why? Because he took all of our sin upon himself, and he went before the trial, and he was found guilty, and he went to the grave for it. And so this isn't mamby-pamby fake promises, just have hope. This is real, grounded hope in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so if he wanted to abandon you, then he would have. But because he kept with it, because he kept with the plan, even to death itself, you can have hope and surety that he's going to keep with you now. That he won't abandon you now. Let me give you one last verse. Deuteronomy 31.6. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, as we pull it up here, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. Y'all, that promise is for you. That promise has been made sure because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Some of you might say, well, how can he be with us if if he died and rose and went to heaven? Well, that's why he said, it's better that I go so that I can bring the Holy Spirit to you so that you can have the access to God everywhere you go. So there isn't one square inch of this world that doesn't have the presence of God residing in it, residing in human beings as as the image bearers of God. That when, when when we put our faith and hope in him, then he takes up residence in our heart. And so we are, we are walking temples with the Spirit of God in us. And this is something that's so mystical and so wild. It's called this union with Christ. It's this very close connection that we have with God. So we are with God and God is with us. 100%. And so it's okay to lament. and In fact, we should lament. For what is hitting our world today? Lament, mourn, cry, pray in these psalms that we throw out there. How long, O oh Lord? Pray like your hair is on fire if you have hair. <laughs> but at the same time, do not fear, for I am with you. Is the promise that Paul needs to hear is a promise I need to hear. That he is with us in spite of this. And so God is with us today as much as he was four weeks ago.
1: Yeah.
0: We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Come on, somebody. Come on. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is amazing (laughs) that God's presence comes in the form of of, of Jesus, but he goes to heaven and gives us his spirit, that we have that spirit inside of us. This is wild. this is what we say. We're spirit led because we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. God is with us. And so God, through the form of people encouraging through the community, through the word and its promises that are confirmed in the person of Jesus, you have a grounded hope in real reality that God is with you. Jesus is here. Hallelujah. Thank you. Hallelujah. Let's pray.